This episode is all about how stand-up comedy is moving to the internet in a time of isolation, or as we like to call it on our weekly Zoom call, sit-down comedy. I'll be here all week. And now here are your hosts, who once pitched an online cooking show to Netflix entitled The Marvelous Mrs. Basil. Jennifer Jamula and Allison Goldberg. Hello, everyone. I'm Jen. I'm Allie. Welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast. Allie and I are performers and comedians, and we had a show, a live comedy show called Blogologues for a lot of years, where we performed internet content on stage as different characters. We basically use the internet as our script. We then created a web series called Two Girls, One Show, where we dug into who are the people behind these posts that we've been performing all this time, and we interviewed them and went on scripted adventures. And now we're doing Two Girls, One Podcast with The Daily Dot and Matt Silverman. Hi, Matt. Hey. Hello. Um, And we are talking to people behind internet communities or phenomena that we find interesting. So today is more in the phenomenon realm as we are going to be looking at comedy, particularly live comedy or stand-up comedy in the age of quarantine. So, Allie, I know this is something you have actually done, (laughs) right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Like, I don't want to talk about it. No, it's uh, it's crazy because well, I mean, quarantine is is horrible, but it's been interesting for this podcast because 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 basically everything has gone online now. It's like the real world shut down and the virtual world lit up more than ever. So all of comedy is now online. So we're looking particularly today at how stand up comedy has moved online. We're speaking with Josh Gondelman. Yeah, you guys probably know Josh Gondelman. He's a stand up comedian author, TV writer, uh, tweeter extraordinaire, podcaster, producer. He does so many things, um, but he's currently the uh, supervising producer and writer for Jesus and Mero on Showtime. And he was previously a writer on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. So he's uh, a very... He's just like us, but more successful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I was saying to Matt earlier, I was so excited to realize that he produces and writes for Jesus and Miro, because I don't know if you guys are watching that, but uh, it captures New York a lot. And uh, (laughs) it's just like, you know, I'm not in New York currently and is making me feel kind of homesick, but uh, that's really a, a great show. So... Uh, look into it if, if you haven't already. They started as the Bodega Boys, and I saw them live at Madison Square Garden um, about a year ago uh, with Adam. And so we got into the show, and it's just awesome. Oh, that's I didn't realize that was them. Got yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what we're doing today. Yeah, I guess Matt, I know you too know some people who are producing live comedy shows. Is that correct? Like what? You guys basically pitched this topic, so I want to hear y'all talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's sad for me, which I think you guys know, is that so Jen and I, our background really is sketch comedy primarily. So and then but we did create a show called How to Break Up by Text, where we perform and analyze audience members text breakups. And that was stand up ish. And then I've had friends over the years, especially who saw that show, who are like, you should try stand up. And I was always like, I'm not going to try stand up at this point. But then I don't know, it started to look appealing for a lot of reasons. So I did my very first stand up show in February 2020. <laughs> the other funny thing about <laughs> so it, 10,000 yeah. years ago, it feels like literally it. right before quarantine. And right. actually, the funny thing is my very first stand up show ever. Most people were like, you should start with a tight five. Um, I did an hour. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. Did we not talk you about did this? an hour? She did an hour. Yeah. And, Holy uh, shit. How? It was what? a one woman show. Oh, my God. It was. Yeah. Can I say I crushed it? Is that allowed? She uh, crushed it. The, 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 the clips that I saw were excellent, but I didn't know you went for an hour. An That's hour. Yeah, I decided to just throw myself under the bus. So basically, I, I did the breakup show at a club in San Francisco. And then the club was like, that was, you know, we got great feedback about it. But the way our programming works, we're not going to have that show back this for a year, which is fair. So they said, is there anything else you can bring? And I'd been wanting to try stand up. And so I said, I would like to bring an hour of stand up. <laughs> and then all my actual stand up friends told me I was insane, which was actually really not nice of them. Like be a little more no. encouraging, well, it, um, except for Jen and Adam introduced me to their friend Colby. 
aunt who was super encouraging and was like my <laughs> comedy guru and like watch. He barely knows me. And I was like, can I come to your house and rehearse <laughs> an hour of stand up for you? And you don't know me. And I might be terrible. And he was like, sure. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that's how it started. OK. Yeah. So, well, I mean, we had, we had went, coffee once yeah. first. Yeah. Oh, but okay. it was a really <laughs> fun exercise since our background is Jen but both of us, our background is theater and storytelling and sketch. So it was a really interesting, I had so much fun writing it because oh my, gosh, my yeah. first draft, I did it for a couple friends and they were like, that was kind of like a weird long monologue. And so it was fun to then watch a fuck ton of stand-up specials and be like, okay, what structurally is going on here? And stand-up, I mean, the stand-ups are going to listen to this and be horrified by all of this, but like, it's it's very intentionally disjointed. So like a lot of what I did was just chop up my script and rearrange it. And that it was huge. And then, you know, there, there's, I won't bore everyone. There's, yeah. yeah. And then there's a lot of things, you know, like where are my callbacks going to be and like how you can like invert yeah, a yeah. callback. And it was really fun to just think about structurally. And I had a fucking blast. And then my goal for March was like, all right, I'm going to cut myself a reel. And I cut myself this like five minute reel. You can go see it on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> just go to YouTube.com. It'll be, it'll be the first video. Yeah. Well, you have to yeah. search for Alison Goldberg and you have oh, okay. to find my image and then you, that'll be it. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And so my goal for March was I was going to pitch a bunch of bookers like using our press from sketch comedy because like, no, <laughs> I was like, whatever. We were voted like top 10 funniest women in New York. They don't need to know it was for sketch, not stand up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then that was my plan was to pitch it. And then the whole world shut down. Um, but so I do you- know a guy who created a virtual Right. club and i said hey could i do a set and i sent him my reel and he said sure so my second stands up set ever was virtual and so i really probably should pitch more but it's just i don't know it's such a strange time but i guess i should what were you gonna say well how long was your uh set when in quarantine it was just five minutes yeah five minutes okay mm-hmm. okay gotcha. and that was great too so, uh, uh, well i have two questions one how long did it take to write the the one hour like it sounds like a few drafts but like is this weeks of work or what so i also i mean and part of why i threw myself under the bus too is like and and this is what jen and i did early on too like i knew like when we created blog logs we booked a theater before we had a show and then we had a deadline and we're forced to write a show and uh-huh. i knew that mm-hmm. if i was like i should try stand up it was gonna mm-hmm. be like <laughs> i don't know so, and actually shout out to my roommate from college, Anna, who's really the one that was like, for years was like, you should be doing stand up. You should be doing stand up. And she's like the reason I decided to try it. But, um, although now stand up is dead. What was your question? <laughs> oh, how long did it take? <laughs> stand up's not dead. What are you saying? <laughs> I know. So it was February. So I knew I was like, all right, I, I, this is not something I can leave till the last minute. And I feel bad that I'm like totally taking over this intro, but I was like, I can't leave this to the last minute. So of everyone here, you're the only person who's done it. So yeah, exactly. this <laughs> is your, this is your show. Till our like significantly more successful guest. Stay tuned. Um, <laughs> oh my God. I saw him on Butterboy, and he just like killed me with this thing about his physique and how his physique is really more of a physouche. And I just died. Um, <laughs> but now I'm just reciting his jokes. So I'm going to shut the fuck up. But anyway, so to write it, I did it um, on and off for a few months but it really like you guys know like from this podcast there are things I kind of rant about and I like started there and I just like poured mm-hmm. it out so mm-hmm. it didn't take that long I I actually in a way found it easier to write an hour than I probably would writing five minutes because okay. Jen and I are used to creating hour-long shows so to me that made more sense I was like here are the themes I can pull out and work on and have like you know recurring in different ways and also like there was a moment where I just like went on a feminist rant and like that worked because it was earned within the context of an hour. Mm -hmm. But I think Mm -hmm. I would have more trouble just doing five minutes. I mean, now I have five minutes. Like when I did that five minute set, I just did um, five minutes from the hour about circle jerks, which, you know, I just feel everybody loves circle jerks. (laughs) But but my second question is this all makes sense. And then like, how do you memorize an hour? And I know your theatrical brain is going to be way better at that than most people, but also like when you're on stage with a company or or a, or a partner, there are triggers that are like, you say this line, then I say this line. Like that memorization structure makes some sense to me. I don't even know how you touch an hour of material alone on stage. Well, that's what was interesting that I didn't realize is that 
when I was on stage, I realized that this had never happened to me before. I've always done plays, musicals, sketch comedy, shows with Jen, where it's the two of us. And so the other one always has your back. And so I actually Mm -hmm. didn't realize till I was on stage where I was like, oh. Oh, shit. (laughs) But anyway, so I fucked. I knew I I knew I fucked something up in my head. Right. I knew that I hadn't done it the way I wanted to do it, but I had to keep going. Right. I had to keep talking. And on stage, I realized that it is my callback at the end. And it's how I close the show. Oh, God. (laughs) This is like the dream that you have, the nightmare of being on stage with with naked or whatever. It was so fun. And then so I'm on stage like doing my set simultaneously trying to rewrite the ending. And it was just a fucking blast. I mean, of course, I I wish that that part hadn't happened but it was really fun <laughs> but it was, it's interesting right because like when you do sketch comedy you come out you do a character you leave there's another sketch going on you regroup you get ready for the next mm-hmm. one you know what i mean it's just mm-hmm. like it's just you but i have to say like it was i don't think i've ever felt so like powerful it was so thrilling because mm-hmm. also Ooh. jen and i usually oh my god it really was it was such a high because jen and i we always played characters right but it's it's crazy to be on stage for an hour have the room in the palm of your hand and you are basically giving your own personal thoughts and opinions and they're mm-hmm. laughing. You know what I mean? It's like being president. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh, anyway, a comedy I, show. I wish he just did stand up comedy. Yeah. Like leave office. <laughs> so Jen, how are you? <laughs> oh my God. I'm fine. How's your quarantine going? What did you do February twenty twenty? You had a birthday. You came to visit me. That was exciting. I did uh, I did both of those things. That's true. I don't really that's all I remember. Thanks for living my life for me. Um, I don't know what I did in February 2020. <laughs> I actually, yeah, no, you know, I don't have too much new to tell you all about. Um, I've been sleeping well. We've had a few fires. We have a birdhouse. Life is good. Um, and I'm really going to miss this suburban living, guys. Like, I, I don't know. Oh, uh, Jen, you can always have it. I know. Have you seen that everyone's making squirrel picnic tables? Yes. <laughs> we talked about this. And I, after what? we talked about it, I saw it like three times the same day. Yeah, so people are making picnic tables for squirrels and they're putting like nuts on it and then it looks like the squirrels are having a picnic. It's <laughs> You're very saying cute. it like, have you seen everybody is making picnic tables for no, squirrels? It's a, a lot. lot of it's people a are. Lot. There's someone selling I them on Etsy. I just inhabit net. very different internet content ecosystems and than you the do. the squirrels are <laughs> sitting down politely at the tables and eating their fucking nuts. You and Adam should do this. We should. We might. Yeah. Well, you told me might? about it Yes yesterday and then i told him about it and he already knew about it so i i think i think we might exactly. do it yeah exactly everybody knows now you know matt you know, it, spread the word but it's, Thank funny, you. it's <laughs> funny updating people in quarantine you know what i mean like i'll talk to a friend who i spoke to last week and they're like how you doing and i'm like i don't have anything to tell you about yeah. you know what i mean it's like, have you seen the squirrels it's so funny usually, like, usually it's like oh i went to this crazy thing now it's like well i uh, had some pasta (laughs) it is funny watching the waves of like what's becoming popular and i can only imagine it's going to continue to get weirder yeah like i don't know what's weirder than a squirrel picnic table but (laughs) we're going there (laughs) we're headed Uh, the the fan fiction about the squirrel picnic is going to be great (laughs) that's right that's right (laughs) uh go on what like squirrels fucking on picnic tables or how's that like what's the fan fiction for that you never heard of picnic porn (laughs) just put some squirrels in there that makes sense don't don't google it don't Don't google it it. yeah 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 well speaking of picnic porn yes i do have some trivia that is not related in any way to squirrels or picnics but i needed a transition and uh i I needed to pull us out from that (laughs) today's episode is about how comedy continues to evolve and make its way onto the internet in different forms today's trivia is about a very important piece of comedy that probably changed the internet as we know it. I'm going to play it for you right now. Two, no, six, no, twelve. Like your cousin. I told you that I'm crazy for these cupcakes, cousin. Yo, where's the movie play at? the west side, dude. Well, let's hit up Yahoo Maps to find that dopest route. I prefer MapQuest. That's a good one, too. Google Maps is the best. True that. Double through. 68 to Broadway. Step on it, sucker. What you want to do, Chris? Y'all remember it? I actually don't, but that was incredible. <laughs> you don't remember it. Allie, do you know what that is? I do, but I can't place it. Yeah, I mean, this comes from the olden times of December 2005. Yeah, they referenced MapQuest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, one of the first SNL Saturday Night Live digital shorts. This oh, was Lazy fine. Sunday. Mm. 
okay. if you recall. Yeah. Uh, it was performed by little-known cast members at the time, Andy Samberg and Chris Parnell, and was written and produced by the comedy trio The Lonely Island. These uh. guys took over the comedy world when this sort of new form of an SNL sketch came on the scene. And now it's notable in an internet context because it was a smash hit overnight on television. It made Sandberg into a huge star. Uh, but it's also widely credited with bringing YouTube, which was only around for about 10 months and was still like this weird video startup with some weird stuff on it, brought YouTube into a mainstream awareness because the clip was widely pirated and uploaded there. And it generated more than 5 million views uh, which was huge at the time. This is like less than a year into the existence of YouTube uh, before NBC demanded that it be taken down because it was it was pirated and, and we had not developed anything on YouTube where it was like, oh, you could upload late night clips or whatever. That, that was just not a thing. So this, in hindsight, is generally seen as a tipping point where broadcasters and big corporate interests and also this scrappy video startup called YouTube realized from Lazy Sunday that there was a future for online video. And lo and behold, about 10 months after that, Google swooped in and bought YouTube for $1.6 billion, which at the time was its largest acquisition. And now is an amount of money that Google could find in its couch cushions at any given moment. So <laughs> This, of course, this one video, it, you know, it's its reductive to say that this one video launched YouTube, but it was a tipping point for the YouTube that we understand today, which is now, uh, as we know, a trifecta of, you know, viral crazy stuff, creator culture, which we know and love, and of course, late night clips, SNL, uh, you know, Colbert, they, they all upload their clips directly to YouTube now, and, then, and that's now a thing. So... The, we, we covered that, some of this in our uh, YouTube episode, yeah? Exactly, exactly. I, I love this stuff. So I, I'm going to give you three facts about the origin story of Lazy Sunday. Two of these facts are real, and one of them I made up. Which of these is not true about the internet sensation Lazy Sunday? A, the entire song was written in one hour using a broken crayon because there were no pens in the office that this comedy troupe was inhabiting at the time. B, the entire song was recorded in one night using a laptop from Craigslist. Or C, the entire video was shot in one day using a borrowed camera. <laughs> well, I, I'm i so sad to say I haven't seen the video, so I feel like I can't choose that one because I have no idea. But it was still idea. SNL, right? Yes. So it, it was made by this the, this group of cast members or and writers who were part of SNL, but it was my understanding of it was like it was uh, they did it on a whim and they were like we have this crazy idea, none of it was guaranteed to go on air and they whipped it up very quickly and Lord Michaels was like ah, ah fine throw it on and it just it yeah. completely changed SNL. So I'm skeptical that it was recorded on a laptop, like even, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I think I'm going to go with A, even though it seems like almost impossible to write something that hilariously brilliant in one hour. Wait, but, and just to clarify, yeah. you, we're choosing the fact that is not true. You, oh, not your true. goal is to pick the yeah, fake yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so oh, 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 B is fake. B okay. is fake. Okay, yeah, B is Jen, fake. Jen goes with Should B. Should we diversify or just, or just stick with B? Let's let's stick with B. Let's stick together this time. We haven't stuck let's together in a while. Let's be together. Doubling down on the B. We will find the out the correct Lonely Island Lazy Sunday answer after this commercial break. Hey, y'all. You know by now that we are so appreciative of when you contribute to our Patreon. And we just wanted to, again, take a special moment to shout out those people who are contributing at the $10 level or more. Or thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Chris Harrison. Jerry Duran. Jessica Fox. Melissa Elliott. James Dozier. And Christopher Latch. Thank you all. And you've made our week, our month, our, our quarantine. <laughs> um, Definitely We quarantine. really appreciate you. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you so yeah. much. And now a real Facebook public service announcement from the Tawny Town Police Department, courtesy of Best of Next Door. Please remember to put pants on before leaving the house to check your mailbox. 
you know who you are. This is your final warning. Um, I don't mean to give anyone up, but Matt, didn't you just say your son was not wearing his pants either? Like maybe yeah, it's, maybe it's that, him. That could. Yeah, <laughs> you sent him yeah. out to get the mail. But well, he's got to earn his keep. <laughs> Honestly, no one should be required to wear pants during this time. I know. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I 100% agree with that. What's what was not true of this trivia? What was not true about <laughs> the video that changed YouTube? that perhaps precipitated the acquisition of YouTube by Google in 2006. This was, of course, Lazy Sunday, the Beastie Boys style rap uh, created by uh, Andy Samberg and Chris Parnell and the team at The Lonely Island and uh, really changed how the how the mainstream viewed YouTube. Uh, what was going on with the creation of this? One of these facts is not true. A, the entire song was written in an hour with a crayon. B, the choice that you both stuck with, which is that the entire song was recorded in one night using a Craigslist laptop, or C, the entire video was shot in one day using a borrowed camera. You guys are sticking with B. That is correct. Yep. The correct answer, the false fact about Lazy Sunday is A, (gasps) the crayon. I'm sorry to say. In a Wait. way, I, I'm relieved. That's so out there that they could have done that with a crayon in an hour. I was like, wow, there are geniuses <laughs> out there that I just don't understand, but they're more just like us. So Wait, but it was filmed <laughs> with a laptop, and then what was C? No, the, 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 the song was recorded with a laptop, uh, yeah. bought on Craigslist, and yeah. C, the, then they, so liter- literally the whole thing, this game-changing video was done in a sequence of three approximately three days written in one day not in an hour uh by the lonely island then they got a they you know they had a laptop a cheap laptop and they made the recording of the song i assume using beats from a garage band and whatever and then literally went out during the day the next day when Uh. like snl writers were like writing the show they were like we're gonna run around in brooklyn and go to like the cupcake store and go outside the movie theater and they borrowed a camera from someone. This is literally Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live, you know, a, a venerated television show. They ran outside with a laptop and a camera and made it this video. Like it's the ultimate internet story and which is why I love that. So I don't know, just scrappy brilliance here that uh, that changed the game. Totally, totally. Well... Let's get into even more brilliance. (laughs) Everyone, we have our guest with us now. Um, Please welcome to the show. We are thrilled to have him. The one, the only, Josh Gondelman. Welcome, Josh. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I mean, the one and only is more just a quirk of having a fairly uncommon last name. (laughs) <laughs> I was gonna say, are there other Josh Gondelmans out there? Have you met them? <laughs> I've I've been reached out to by a Josh Gendelman um, online, <laughs> but that's not the same. Yeah, right. That's a different thing. It's not the same. Not the same. Wait, so you uh, so you are the one and only then? I might be. Well done. So we're all in quarantine right now, and we see that you are maybe a productive quarantiner because it actually drove you to create a podcast. Is that correct? I have been making a brand new podcast in quarantine. Yeah. It was like in the works before and I kind of thought it was uh, dormant for a while. And then the people at Radio Point that I'm producing it with, that team was like, oh, why don't we just try it a different way and it'll feel possible and like relevant during quarantine. And so we have been. It's been really fun. That's fantastic. Um, What is it called so people can check it out? The podcast is called Make My Day and it's a comedy game show where I have like one comedian on every week and they play a game that they're guaranteed to win because they're the only contestant. And the, <laughs> the, the premise of all the games are that they are just designed to cheer me up. So that's how points are, are delegated. However much you feel cheered. However much I feel cheered by the contestant is how I assign points. You can score one point and win because <laughs> you're the only contestant. Yeah, you could score one point and win. You could score a thousand points. There is no real scale. Um, so far, I'm waiting for people to notice. Because there haven't been an, quite enough episodes for it to come out as a trend yet. But I think by the end of like next week's episode, it will be clear that each contestant sets the new all-time high score for the show. Yeah, that's so, like, the thing. Every- it's like there is, there is 
away, right? It's like how much is Josh cheered? And if someone, yes. yeah, no. So your your plan backfired. But it is it it sort is of. that is the bit. So like people come in knowing. So it's not like the first person right. did a worse job. It's just that the premise is that it always escalates, but it's kind of unspoken within the show. Right. So, so every- if you really. It's good to go early on this podcast. Yes. yes. So you can, like, no, no, no. It's good really. to go later. Oh, the later you go, the higher your score will be by definition. <laughs> so, so because the 10th Wait, episode. because it starts where the last one left off? Like, uh, or yes. just so, ha- Well, it, it doesn't specifically start where the last one left off, but every episode, the contestant will set a new high score for the show. That's like something I decided coming into the show. So like. Oh, the sec- so even if I come on and I just make you feel you, absolutely miserable about yourself. Yeah, you're really eat, and eat trash on it yep, yep. don't do that I would still win <laughs> yes correct we need to have a talk about how games work you'll set the all-time <laughs> high score because that's something i decided is funny okay well, so that's well, yeah back. so we thank you yeah. how did you do in school um because this actually, is not how points work yeah this is not <laughs> wait why is it not how points work <laughs> it's how points work it is how points work isn't it i mean it is this but... is this is how comedy works guys Oh. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. I mean, well, no. Comedy. I just want to know what what is wrong with the scoring system. I'm open to feedback. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like I've I've heard about this thing called math, and I'm just like yes. not entirely sure mm. if but yours uses math. It of course uses math. That's how I know what the scores are. <laughs> <laughs> I I assign a bunch of numbers randomly, and then I add them up, and then they're a big number. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. Now we're talking about stand-up in the age of quarantine. Um, so, okay, there are a lot of different kinds, right? There's, like, Instagram Live shows, mm-hmm. YouTube Live, Twitch, Zoom, Facebook Live. I don't know if I missed one. So what are the different types, and how do you think they differ? I mean, I think you you did a nice job of listing, and it's it's platform <laughs> to platform, right? Like, it's what kind of platform you're using. and And so there are different interactions with audiences based on what kind of platform you're on. If you're in Zoom, there are ways to do a Zoom show where you get a lot of audience feedback, right? Where you uh, open the audience up to having their mics on and you hear laughter and and reaction. And that is like, I think it tops out as like the most satisfying kind of show, but it's also really hard to monitor and maintain because if people jump into these shows and behave poorly it's the hardest to regulate and then on the other hand you have like a twitch stream or a youtube stream where the video and audio are uninterrupted but there's maybe a stream of comments underneath and the experience is like subtly different because when you don't hear laughing at a stand-up show it is all just about how much you kind of enjoy it in a vacuum or you're reacting to people's verbal comments about enjoying it. So there is like a very, that, that is kind of the spectrum, right? And I've done shows where, uh, zoom shows or, uh, online shows where the only reaction you're hearing is coming from the host or hosts of the show. And that's like kind of a middle ground, right? Like butter boy, which is a long running Brooklyn stand-up comedy show is now online and you can hear the hosts listening and laughing and, and reacting, you know, a laughter response and like, like you would from an audience because they sit in and keep their mics on, but you don't hear the rest of the crowd, which is like a, a, I think a nice middle ground between performing in a vacuum on like your own Instagram feed or opening it up to like whoever can get into a Zoom show or or like having to do the like really kind of like nitpicky weeding out work of like maintaining the community in, in a in a bigger Zoom show where people might like have the opportunity to be disruptive. Isn't that sort of what's happening on Desus Amiro that they're Julia or somebody's like, like we are getting laughter from someone, right? Yeah. So Jesus and Mero uh, on Showtime, uh, Mondays and Thursdays at 11, we have been making, I I work there. uh, We have been making And I love that show. Thank you. I'm so glad. I mean, like truly when you said it, I was like, oh, you must really be watching. The first clue that someone pretends to like the show and doesn't actually watch is when they say, watch is when they say Jesus and Mero. That is a dead giveaway 100% of the time that they do not watch the show. Um, they say the name of the show every t- every week, <laughs> twice. Um, yeah. But yeah, they, th- but Julia, our, who's a writer and producer, is on mic with them, a kind of uh, 
helping keep the ball rolling in terms of like asking questions, uh, explaining stuff, like if they have questions about the material, because they like to be really spontaneous and it helps to have Julia as a sounding board for Jesus and Mero as while they're hosting the show. And it's very fun. And that's also what we do when the show is in, in the studio, Julia is there and like, I'm occasionally on mic and our head writer, Mike, and executive producer, Mike Palasic will be on mic if they, if they make him, <laughs> if they ask him a specific question. And so there's that, I think one thing that has helped keep Jesus and Mero feeling a lot like the studio version, even when it's produced remotely, is a big part of the show is Jesus and Mero making each other laugh and like, and delighting each other and Julia laughing. And I think all of that gives it a, a feeling of uh, normalcy and, and the rhythm of it is less disruptive or disrupted rather than maybe some of the other shows that are used to having like a really big audience. Like Stephen Colbert shoots in the Ed Sullivan theater, which is like 400 people. And then to go from that kind of response to jokes to him changing the pace to just like talk to camera is like a much bigger shift. I think not that one is better or worse, uh, especially because so much feels different now about consuming entertainment that it's not like everybody just wants the studio version right now. People want to feel like what they're watching is like authentic to the moment we're living in and acknowledging of it. But I think having Jesus and Mero to laugh at each other and having Julia to laugh at both of them is really like a, and, and they laugh at Julia as well. She's very funny, but having those three people reacting to one another is just like a little more traditional rhythm for our show especially because our studio audience is very small to begin with it's like you know 20 audience members plus staff a lot of weeks is your preferred medium right now for yourself as a comedian zoom or do you have a preferred medium right now i am not i mean i prefer the regular live stand-up to all of it and i think a lot of (laughs) comedians would say that (laughs) i do well it just is that's how like things are written to be performed and i don't mind doing these online shows but part of that is just because like i've been doing stand-up a long time and i don't mind bombing so like i which is like a weird thing to say and it's like it sounds bad about me and my career. Like I would, I prefer when shows go well and they at this point predominantly do, but so little of like my self-worth is attached to individual audiences laughing at jokes that I know work already. So like I can go onto an Instagram live show and just tell the jokes as if they're a story and be satisfied to like not hear a response even though i don't think that's the ideal way for for live comedy to be consumed no for sure but i mean the thing is like you're not bombing because you can imagine that you're just crushing it every time so i do that at live shows too though (laughs) yeah good good but it's interesting because both as a performer and an audience member like it's awkward when there's no laughs you know like i'm watching john oliver i'm like is this funny I don't, I don't know anymore. Right. It's much harder. <laughs> the laughter of an audience is really validating and, and it's really affirmative and, and the laughter of an audience, even in a room, right? Like if you hear a joke that you're like on the fence about laughing and you hear the whole room laughing, that elicits laughter from you as well. And it's like, I don't want to get like sociological about it because I don't know anything, but that is like a true thing, right? Like you laugh more at, at, at a live show than you do at a funny TV show usually. You know, I mean, like people say LOL out loud now, which is the opposite of laughing out loud because it is a noise you can only make when you're not laughing. So like (laughs) there, there is, there is something that is missing and uh, definitionally, but I do think you can get kind of like a, if, if you can get a well curated audience on zoom in terms of like no people who are coming in maliciously to disrupt the performance and everybody's good time i think that can be pretty fun and but i think the other the other kinds of shows can be fun too it's just like that is the closest facsimile of like hearing the audience responses the audience hearing each other's laughter and i've done a couple of those with like 20 or 30 audience members that were that were really fun and satisfying what do you think are some of the positives of this format? Like in particular, I was reading that Kevin Allison's risk, they're actually thinking they might, I mean, it's different because it's storytelling, but they're thinking they might actually continue with uh, remote shows because now they're having audience members from all over the world tune in. Yeah. I mean, I think that there is a, there are real benefits to like 
a lot of different kinds of entertainment being more accessible to people. I was talking with um, Luisa Diaz recently, who's a, she's a producer of comedy, uh, of live comedy stuff mostly, I think, uh, is how I would describe her production expertise. And she, she was saying like, it is an issue of like, disability access in a lot of places that keeps people away from comedy and an issue of geographical access, right? That like maybe the people you want to see don't come to where you are. And so those, those barriers are being broken down in a way that like, I do think is exciting to a lot of people. And like, and like, obviously there is no benefit really to a pandemic, but seeing that these kind of things are possible hopefully helps people rethink how they allow people to access comedy right how they how they try to include people my uh my wife works in publishing and she she has a podcast about books called the maris review uh, her name is maris kreisman and she was she was saying recently like book launch events you know it's not profitable to send every author on an extensive book tour right it's just like with travel and live events and how many books are sold at each one it's like not a super money winning money making proposition for every author let's say but to do to to supplement something like a book tour with a big online event that is like well maintained so that that it's not being disrupted by harassment but allows people from all these places that can't make it to a live event to come in and and have this one-on-one or one-on-many experience with the author is like really I think beneficial to authors and gratifying to to fans and readers. Yeah, I think it's so fascinating the ways that the world will change permanently uh even after the pandemic. Yeah. Like you know the positive things that'll happen like that. Being forced to be mindful of people who like don't have certain kinds of opportunities is like really useful and beneficial. And I'm glad that people are, that that is like uh, an awareness that is emerging more than usual under these current conditions. So Josh, you sort of alluded to like Zoom bombing earlier, like trolling over Zoom. We've heard that Zoom heckling is a thing. So what is going on with that? Have you seen that? I have. I saw it. It's confusing to me because can't you just mute them? Well, you who's doing it, right? Like it, that's what's hard is it's hard to know who is heckling because it's an it, it's not like in a room where you go, oh, that guy's yelling because I see his mouth move and I hear where the sound's coming from. <laughs> Unlike a, in a Zoom show, if there's You're like 50 trying to find people, the square, yeah, exactly, and, and they're not, you know, they're making it hard. Like if if the performer is like the pinned video or the you know the focal point video, it's hard to see who else is talking. And by the time you know, it only takes. 90 seconds of someone being harassing or unpleasant or less than that to like really sour the environment of the whole show. And, you know, even if it happens twice, it's like, well, now you're going to start losing people's focus, I think, because they're, they're just going to expect that these um, harassments and uh, and irritations and, and disruptions are going to like regularly take place. So I, I yeah, I, I think it is like really something that, is being contended with in different ways, whether it's um, events are ticketed or free ticketed just with like a little barrier for entry rather than just like clicking on a link, yelling obscenities, and then waiting till someone finds you and kicks you out. You know, just the barrier of like, I'm going to give them my email address and then they will send me the link is I think sometimes enough to deter people from, um, from, from behaving badly because it just makes it like, a little more difficult than is worth it to just like be an asshole. I think if you're heckling during a pandemic, you are a horrible person. Maybe you're just blowing off steam. It's a stressful yeah, time, guys. No. Exactly. Like it's, no. it's no one comes no. into a Zoom to heckle because the show is bad, right? right. No, they they come in because they're a horrible person. Right, right, right. Yeah, it was like right. on your calendar to do that. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm not. Yeah. You made a calendar event for yourself. Yeah. Remember to heckle this show at seven and this one at nine. I'm not saying that person should get Corona, but I'm not saying they shouldn't. You know, not. Allie, don't make jokes like that. I just did. Um, it is, I can't. I can't. It, it is like a, it's frustrating, right? Because people are trying to like find a way to to make art and share art and people are trying to find a way to enjoy entertainment and and feel 
feel good. And then someone comes in and, and disrupts that in a way that's like really aggressive. And a lot of the time is like racist and sexist. And it's, uh, it's really disappointing and for all the people involved. And it's like, I don't know. It, it's just a bummer. And I think that's one of the challenges of this kind of, um, this kind of comedy production, right. Is like the disproportionate ability at times, the, the balance between the benefits of having an audience and the risk of having an audience, even in like a dark room at a comedy club, people behave like that so rarely, right? The level of like heckling of like someone appearing at a show, yelling a bunch of disruptive, offensive stuff, and then waiting for everyone to try to kick them out is like so rare at a live comedy show. Do you think it's it happens more frequently in these online shows? Numerically, I don't know if it's more frequent i would guess yes Talk about your guess, math skills come on and i would guess i would guess it well i don't have i don't have uh sample sizes but the anecdotally let's say which is not <laughs> science um it feels like it's happening more often and the severity i will say is generally worse like it is so rare at a live comedy show where someone is uh pervasively and unrepentantly saying things that are like so vile and uncomfortable from the jump off that they would be ejected immediately. You know, most heckling at a real comedy club uh, or a live, you know, a live comedy venue is someone maybe drunk and like reacting overly uh, audibly to a joke or, you, you know, saying something kind of quiet or reacting to a specific thing. And then you have uh, in a, in a good room, there's a staff that will go, Hey, you can't, do that that's not that's not what this venue is for and it, it's just like a little easier to control and and people feel like th- there's like a social pressure right like unless you're hammered or just like fully devoid of the kind of like social nuances that that let you know that a room of people is mad at you it is <laughs> it's so hard to do that in a room whereas like when you sign onto a thing there's no social cost to anonymously destroying a comedy show right like nobody knows who you are nobody cares you're not you didn't pay any money to get in so you're not financially invested in the health of this uh show or this venue it is it's just like a lot easier to do there are no barriers so you're not gonna like and if you get banned from future shows like if if you know if that technology is possible you don't care because you'll find other ones and continue to behave badly if that's something that is continuously interested and interesting to you yeah right and i think that's like the the dilemma with the whole internet is that there's no repercussions to being an asshole yeah yeah Yeah. it is much it's much easier to do and the cost is much lower right also just like when you are in a zoom and you speak you either take over the whole screen or if it's set to gallery view like people just hear your voice like it kind of drowns mm-hmm. out all of the other voices just by the way that yeah. the medium's set up so right. i could see that it it's much worse because of that too and yeah. that is that is also right like at a at a live show the performer generally has a microphone and is louder than the heckler so that mm-hmm. unless the heckler is like shouting to be heard the like conversation dynamic favors the performer just by sonic the sonics of the room um, right. so it's like you it's it's just like a, a a tricky proposition but i i'm really um admiring of producers like sam varela who's making these uh instagram live shows on on several nights a week and remy casimir who's been doing the same thing on a as a performer producer um marianne ways who's been making the butterboy show happen online and amber amber rollo and kate willett have like regular shows and so it can be really fun in a way that is like different than live comedy and 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 i i like that i mean if people are there having a good time i i'm not here to like tell people not to eat at mcdonald's because it's not peter luger or whatever you know what i mean like if (laughs) you can enjoy a thing that is not as good as the best version of the thing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but i hope like the the people will be um when it's safe we'll come back to live shows and i think they will because it's not like the it's not like people are i think watching these virtual shows and going oh this is this is better than 
the in-person thing. Like, I don't need that anymore. I think this is really showing like the intimacy of a live performance in a room is really special. Although a couple of performers, um, Nori Davis and Maria Bamford have been doing like small, longer sets to like work out material as opposed to like a showcase show with a bunch of comedians. They're inviting fans to go, Hey, I'm going to do this new hour. Do you, our new half hour, come watch it and enjoy it. And, um, and that's like a cool and intimate thing too. That's like a really special interaction. If you're a fan of, of, of a performer like that, which I am, it is like a cool thing to hear them try this new stuff in a one on 10 environment. And I guess they keep the sound on so they can sort of gauge the reaction. It just seems hard to test new material in this environment. It is tough. Yeah. And I think without an audience reaction and even with an audience reaction under these circumstances, because like who knows whether certain material that that resonates to an audience in their own homes will will work quite the same way in an in-person setting. You know what I mean? Especially if it is topical. Yeah, right now it's like anything is exciting. You know what I mean? Like my days, like I put googly eyes on my plants and that's like my big activities. Mm-hmm. So it's like you could tell me a pretty shitty joke and I would be like, okay, you know, so. Yeah, totally. I, I think I think that's true. There's like a people want to be entertained and distracted, I think. Do you read comments when you're doing like lives on Facebook or Instagram? So that's a, that's a really good question. I did not read them when I did butter boy because the audience was not like the audience back and forth was not really a part of that show it was like a stand-up performance but i've done enough instagram live shows and i think hosts have told me oh the audience you like don't feel like you have to answer every comment but like the audience likes feeling a little interactive when they leave comments and i don't mind doing that especially if it's not like a straight up stand-up show if it's like an interview or a some kind of back and forth right with a host where there's questions coming up or comments coming up and you can incorporate them i think during a stand-up bit it is like you know a bit has a rhythm and acknowledging a comment in the middle of it is not ideal (laughs) uh, for for the show and like not that people shouldn't comment that's like what the the medium is designed to do but like yeah i think it's tough to expect acknowledgement from the performer rather than just the other people reading and commenting i'm so fascinated by this because this is about uh two worlds adapting to each other you are you come from a world of live performance with real audience and you are needing to adapt to these platforms and 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 virtual audiences but internet audiences come from a world where if I'm streaming on Twitch, you better believe that every single comment is going to be responded to and reacted to. That's part of the culture. So it's this there's this weird gap between like, well, i'm I'm here to watch this internet show, and I'm going to be, you know, putting emojis in the chat and LOLing. What the fuck? These people are not even looking at me. Like what what is this? Yeah, and I, I'm curious how you're adapting to that it's I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot of meeting in the middle and a lot of knowing that it's a it's hopeful i mean hopefully a temporary thing in a lot of ways and and then figuring out like what will work on these platforms in a more durable and enduring way but yeah i agree like i stand-up comedy is not an art form that is unless you're doing crowd work right and, and talking to the audience and asking them questions it's not a performance that is designed to or benefits from audience interruption and so uh I think like knowing how to kind of put 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 these uh knowing how to put this square peg and round hole situation together has been really interesting to see. Uh and in some ways like the answer is this is an imperfect fit but we're making do, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. uh, and and I did some uh I've done some stuff with like a Twitch stream, like a live just talk show or I did a, a video game stream for charity with the the folks from giant bomb a couple weeks ago or last week oh that's awesome yeah it was really cool i gotta check that out they're doing uh friday nights at at nine which is really cool there um abby russell put it put the one i did together. awesome yeah she's great yeah really cool and 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 in that like acknowledging the stream of comments on twitch is like part of it and people expect to be acknowledged but again it's like doing stand-up in those venues doesn't mean that the stand-up is better when people are more interactive nor does it mean that people are wrong to interact in their the usual Instagram live way with stand up. 
Josh, are there little bits of wisdom you could share with us that you've gleaned about what works or doesn't work with live streaming stand-up for yourself? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I You're mean, asking some, for a friend. Some of it was... <laughs> Whose name is Allie? Right. Wow. Some, of, <laughs> some of it was... One thing that I heard is like when a show is is billed as a stand-up show, and this comes from Marianne Waves, who produces Butterboy. She sent like a really nice email of things that like, hey, we've tried this a couple times. Here are some things that performers might want to know. And one of the things she said was like, people want, if they're coming for a stand-up show, they want stand-up, right? They want you to tell jokes and, and do something prepared, or even if it's spontaneous, to like perform. They don't want you to like spiral jokelessly about the current <laughs> climate. They don't necessarily want like a uh, an MTV Cribs tour of your apartment. <laughs> they they want the show that they thought they were coming for, and and that made sense to me that it was like uh, people want the thing that's being advertised. They want the thing that's familiar or the thing that like they've heard about but hasn't been accessible to them. Right? Like I would be disappointed if I was like, oh, I'm gonna go see uh, my favorite band is on Instagram Live, and, and uh, they said they were doing a show, but their show was like. Uh, they were arm wrestling each other for an hour, right? Like that's not what I came for. So like to, to, to treat it like you are performing for an audience and not like you are just having kind of an intimate conversation, I think is helpful, even if it doesn't feel like you're performing for an audience because there is no feedback that you can, that you can absorb. And that's just for standup. I don't think that's for other forms of, of creative output that, that people are doing. Like if you're a, if, if you do an Instagram live because you are like a lifestyle influencer, that doesn't mean that I'm saying you're wrong to like hear and validate your fans comments in real time. I just mean like stand up comedy is an, an art form that is like practiced and has parameters that can be changed and, and, and violated a little bit, but like at the core of it, unless you're doing, do, do it with intent, you know, and don't just like assume that because it's online and you can't hear the audience that like they don't want to hear you giving your best. <laughs> I forget which show I was watching and I wouldn't call it out anyway. But yeah, there were like some great stand ups and then some guy was just doing something like real fucking weird in his kitchen. And I was like, I don't know what's <laughs> happening anymore. Right. And and there are so. But I love that. So many people have have come up with like really cool ways to do stuff that's not stand up that still incorporates their sense of humor and their sensibility. Like Sydney Washington has, is a, is a really funny stand up who's been doing a cooking show. Julia Rossi is a really funny stand up who's been doing like a fashion kind of talk show from her closet uh, on Instagram live. And so like there are all these other things that are possible. And I think getting stand up comics to like think about different ways to present their interests and their sense of humor can be really cool. But again, it's not the same. And I think like Mitch Hedberg has that great old joke about people like someone, a guy liked to stand up and, and said, can you write a script? Which is like saying you're a really good cook. Can you farm? And like, that is, it's such a perfect joke, but it's also like, okay, maybe now is the time to like, think about farming even just for yeah. now, because like, yeah, you're not cooking as well as, as <laughs> you're being forced to, to adapt. I'm also thinking about the other side of comedy, the internet side, where some of the, I love stand-up, but some of the funniest stuff I've ever watched in my life comes from internet creators who are brilliant at their craft. It's absolutely genius stuff, but they would suck at stand-up because that is not their art form. Their art form is making a YouTube video and cutting it in a weird way with funky timing that just gets me. And they are not being forced to adapt because they are from the internet. They can keep doing internet stuff. You, as a practitioner of live comedy, are being forced to adapt and, and now struggling to, you know, or figuring out these where to meet in the middle ground on Absolutely. internet platforms. I mean, there are really cool performers who are really good live and really good online. Like uh, um, Meg Stutler and Chris Calagero, Natalie Walker are people who like do things that are both uh, some of the 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 work they produce and, and and put out is like created and curated for the internet and some of it is for live shows and like there's some crossover there but like being mindful of the venue that you're performing in and the, the benefits and drawbacks of it is really important and i think like it is not the idea of doing like a video 
where you're playing a character to camera is a very um, simple construct. But I think like the recent time has shown like some people have a real skill and practice and attention to how to do that well. And some people I think just think because they are talking to a camera that it's the same thing. (laughs) And like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And it's the same as like, just because you're talking to a microphone doesn't mean you're an expert stand-up comic. It's just a thing that you have to practice to do well. So is anybody making money? (laughs) We were curious about that, if you know what what you've heard. (laughs) I mean, that's a really good question. I know a lot of things are being done for charity. I know a lot of places are doing like Venmo tip jars for performers. Um, A bunch of the shows that I've done have had that, but like I'm still working full time. So I feel weird taking a stake of that money for people who like their live performers primarily and and their income has been wiped out by like the inability to tour so like i don't know what the share would be from that it seems like it must be something because otherwise why do it but (laughs) again conjecture that's not math (laughs) ali you can (laughs) you can fact check me on that um but yeah it's uh i i don't know i mean it's probably i can't imagine it's the same as like a headlining comedy show or maybe even like spots weekend spots around the city but i think uh, like it really depends on the the pay what you want or or you know what um butterboy though does tickets like you get your link when you pay for a ticket so like that is pretty regular and 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 there's a charitable donation as part of as part of that ticket price so like it's a little of both right some money goes to charity some money is collected for the performers and the and the producers and the the people making the tech happen i have another thought here uh, i don't know if this will go anywhere but so much of this reminds me of the beginnings of modern social media especially when twitter was coming out where in the world of entertainment there was this idea of like well, when we write jokes, we write them and edit them and then we package them and then we put them on a broadcast medium like a sitcom or SNL and and that's where they go because they're very valuable. And then Twitter started happening and some people were like, well, I'm just going to write jokes on Twitter and make people laugh on Twitter for free. And there was this real discussion, I think, in the comedy world of like, whoa, 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 what, what, what is going on here? And, this, and the same thing happened when, uh, you know, clips of late night shows started making their way either at, you know, being pirated and put it on putting them on YouTube or the shows themselves were like, oh, maybe, maybe we could find an audience if we put them on YouTube for free. And now you're being, a lot of comedians are being forced into an internet medium and, you know, probably not making the same living that they were. Do, do you see parallels and, and do, do we see, is this pandemic going to push us toward a future where the winners of the online comedy space, the people that gain followings, who who adapt their comedy into real substantial followings on the internet, they're going to be the the torchbearers into like, well, hey, well, maybe TV and live isn't isn't the way forward. Maybe Instagram is is the platform now. Does that make any sense? Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. I don't think there have to be like winners and losers in, in that way. And I don't think you were implying that they're like have to have to be. But I do think like all these things can be true. Like the internet is not live stand-up comedy in its best form, but live stand-up comedy is not, it doesn't have the same kind of like audience back and forth that like people crave who grew up watching, you know, YouTube game streams and, and all these different things are, they're part of the same fabric of like, comedy entertainment pop culture but it doesn't i don't i think it does each a disservice when we when we evaluate it on the terms of another and and i think like you even hear that with performances that are presented very similarly like right there was like two years ago the big hot button issue was like is hannah gadsby's solo show nanette stand-up comedy and it like on on one hand it's like a fun intellectual exercise but on the other hand it's like well why don't we evaluate what it is and did she succeed on the terms that she laid out and is is this compelling to audiences and not like does all stand up have to be this or does this have to be more like other stand up you know so i think like letting things succeed on the the merits that they're attempting and letting things succeed on the 
platform and venue that they're suited for is like a really, it's sometimes really difficult because you get defensive about the work you like and the work you make. But ultimately it's like to attack, to say like a, a streamer, a, a, a gamer who does live streams on Twitch is not good because it's not a, a Broadway play is like, well, yeah, I would agree with that though. It's not that it's not a Broadway play. <laughs> Mathematically, that checks out. Yeah, um, but you, you know what I mean. Like to one hundred percent. Oh, I fully agree with that. Let me let me frame Matt it another just way. Loves the internet so hard. Well, I love I, the internet, but I, as an internet creator who sees, it's not about winning and losing because in art and of course art on the internet, anything goes. As you said, fully agree. It's more about. Um, which ones will succeed financially? And it, it's not oh, all sure. about money, but there will be there will be people who carry on because it is a viable living for them. And there will be and that will be like one percent of the people who make the shift. And there will be ninety nine percent other people who are awesome and amazing who just couldn't make the economics work and they they didn't lose the art game, but they didn't succeed at the business game. And Got and it. I have seen that play out numbers of times as we shift media to the internet and now i wonder if that's going to happen again for all art forms that can't exist in a in a pandemic world you know yeah yeah i mean i think that the stuff that is monetizable in this world is really valuable to artists there's so much art that is less financially viable to artists just because of like these giant corporate consolidations right so like there's all these other interests at play like record sales meaning nothing essentially compared to what they meant 20 18 20 years ago is like so weird to me and and it's like so so these kind of like parameters are being redrawn and redefined all the time of like what is financially viable same with journalism right like does the internet destroy journalism or but i don't think so but also the fact that like these giant corporations are buying up newspapers and then gutting them when they're not profitable is like the bigger problem than their online now paywall or no paywall. It's the perfect analogy because it's not that the internet killed journalism. It's that journalism willingly said, well, let's just put it online for free. And then everyone uh, expected journalism to then be free. And then when it became an ad supported model, many, many, many outlets failed or got gutted because we we did it wrong we made a mistake in the first place so as other art forms move to the internet because they are forced to because audiences expect them to there will be similar pitfalls and i i don't want i hate seeing talented people get trapped in those pitfalls because as we know the internet is littered with youtube channels podcasts that are amazing and failed because there's no money in it yeah, absolutely. And and some of that is like, I think there's some of it that is a reality of just like a glut of excellent things to enjoy. And a at this at this moment, especially like a paucity of ability to pay for them as as people's financial situations become more tenuous. And And then some of it is like, how do we monetize this really good work? Like, what is the way to go from having like a YouTube channel that that makes you money? Is it Patreon? I mean, like that to me is a really interesting model. The models that have like direct consumer and and audience to artist, just because it's the it feels the least mediated by like a big corporation skimming the majority of the profits. Like Google ad sales or or YouTube ad sales, it, it's like pennies and pennies on the dollar it's it's like spotify streams right or maybe a little a little better than that but like you're getting so little because the the big company is is skimming so much and so i think making stuff that is really distinctive and and developing the business acumen to connect directly with the fans and and let them know that you consider what you're doing to be worth their money and seeing if there there is a a, a density of people that agree is like a hopeful thing for art f- for me well, listeners, you heard it here. Patreon.com slash 2G1P. Josh Gondelman thinks <laughs> you should visit it. So <laughs> check it out. Well, this has been lovely. Um, Thank you. Sorry to be so long-winded. Oh, my ah, gosh. 
You're very Wait. positive, just as you joke about sometimes. It's true. <laughs> I am. It's relentless and it's problematic. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for giving us your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. This this is a real pleasure. That was so lovely, and I feel so positive about the future, but also so uncertain. <laughs> I feel sad about the future, for sure. I mean, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I um, don't think there's going to be live shows for a long time with with audiences of any substantial size. Yeah, it could spur this new trend of like very intimate audiences. You know what I mean? Like things like So Far Sounds and stuff will probably do well. I don't know. Right, right. So hard to say, like what's gonna happen with theater and i know like i've been hearing so much about sports because i guess that's like the big thing that most people who aren't us like follow <laughs> and what's that gonna be looking like um, well, those sports seem to be pretty big i don't know yeah but also those are like multi-million dollar industries so i guess there's incentive for a lot of people to figure that out so <laughs> guys um, i just have one more thing to say mm-hmm. bread has gotten out of control i'm sure you've seen like a lot of bread baking like all over the internet, right? This has like become a thing. Um, I'm looking at a piece of focaccia right now from New York Times cooking that looks like they like have sprinkles on it, vegetables. What was the name of the show or something you had with focaccia? You were like, focaccia about it. What was Mm -hmm. it? You got, no, Mm -hmm. you remember. Shut shut the focaccia up. (laughs) That was my idea. I know what you're referring to. This was was a long time ago on on this show. It was a focaccia only restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm overbred. Um, You're overbred. (laughs) Fuck carbs. Yeah, fuck carbs. You're so March. Can't do it anymore. (laughs) But yeah, no, I can't bake bread. So I had to pick up the ukulele again. You know what I mean? You got a basic bitch somehow in quarantine. And that's my my basic bitch of choice. Would you send us out today with like a chord or something? Can we hear how you're doing on that uke? Let's see. Okay, let's see. Let's see. It's right here. Let's see how in tune it is. Okay. It's out of tune, but it's not terrible. Not terrible. Can, Can you play like one chord and like tell everybody to join our Discord or something? patreon.com slash 2g1p so guys i guess we would love to hear from you what is not just keeping you occupied during quarantine i know we're like a little boring over here but actually what's making you laugh during quarantine yeah and especially are there any live comedy things that you're checking out that you think we should know about you can tweet us i'm at junebugger j-o-o-n-b-u-g-g-e-r i'm at ali gold a-l-l-i-g-o-l-d you can email us at 2g1podcast at gmail.com. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail. That phone number is 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6548. And please join our Discord server, discord.gg slash 2g1p. Uh, we've been saying lately, just because I'm not sure everybody knows, that Discord is free. It's essentially a chat room where you can go and talk with listeners of the show and us and sometimes guests. So please join us, discord.gg slash 2G1P. And Ali, please repeat, maybe with your ukulele. <laughs> um, how can they contribute to us? Patreon. <laughs> I'm so bad. <laughs> Patreon.com slash 2G1P. <laughs> I can't play. That's beautiful. Josh Gondelman said you should visit it, so please do. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. See you soon. See ya. Two Girls, One Podcast is hosted by Allison Goldberg and Jennifer Jamula. Then cut way down to a tight five. I mean, produced and edited by Matt Silverman in New York City. Production assistance is provided by the Podglomerate. This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. The Podglomerate. A sonic universe. Please remember to put pants on before leaving the house.